Hey everyone, this is Joe Turner with City Manager Unfiltered, and I wanted to let you know that this podcast episode contains adult themes and adult language, and that discretion should be advised, and also that it may not be suitable for your workplace environment. Last week, you listened to part one of the interview with Daniel Rosemond, the author of Death of the Public Servant. That podcast has performed really well. I've gotten really good feedback on it. Uh, Next week, I will drop part two, and that is Revenge of the Public Servant. That is where we're going to discuss in more detail his lawsuit and his ultimate victory in court against the city of Hallandale Beach. So don't forget, next week, part two of the interview series with Daniel Rosemond, and that is Revenge of the Public Servant. I'm Joe Turner, and this is City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. And I have a very special guest with us today. His name's Stephen Wade. He is the former Topeka, Kansas city manager. And uh, he was in the news recently because he has been uh, undergoing some mental health issues. And he um, had the courage and the bravery to come forward with some of those issues that he's been dealing with. He was struggling in that aspect, and unfortunately, it recently led to his termination. And uh, so we're going to talk about his story and his journey and how he got here and why he's uh, coming out and and sharing his story with the public. And so welcome to the show, Stephen. I'm very grateful to have you on on today. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Appreciate being here and having a chance. Yeah, you know, I think the, the first place to start, honestly, is why are you wanting to talk about this in public in a domain? Because you know, we are in a time in 2023 where mental health issues are looked upon, looked upon uh, more favorably. People are more open to these conversations and discussing them. But I would put us in the category of, you know, we still pay a lot of lip service to mental health and we still pay a lot of like lip service to being open to it. But there's huge consequences and ramifications for you professionally by coming out and being vocal with your mental health issues. Can you elaborate on why you why you feel now you need to speak up in public? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, It is a little scary to come out and talk about it. I really don't have anything personally to gain by talking about it. My hope is that it opens the door to somebody else because mental health is a scary thing. It's something we don't talk about a lot. And your audience being city managers, it's lonely at the top. Uh, We really don't have the resources for most folks to be able to deal with it. As you know, it's a, it's a high pressure job that is very demanding and basically it's 24 seven. And so with that, that release, it, it's really difficult. So my intention of talking about it is just to, for folks to understand that, you know, Joe, it, it, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And yeah. It's not something that you have to hide. It's not something that you have to pretend doesn't exist. It truly is okay to not be okay. But but that's easier said than done, Stephen, right? Because in our profession, our positions, we are sort of tasked with always being on our A game and always having it together and being composed. And I mean, we're held to very strict standards, right? We, we're, we're not allowed to really show emotion. We're not allowed to show anger. We sure as hell aren't really allowed to show that we're struggling mentally with uh, health issues and so forth and so on. So I don't know how we bridge that gap because I will tell you that in all my posts on LinkedIn, one of the most popular or I shouldn't say popular, but one of the most talked about or engaged 
subject matter is things of like mental health, like, you know, a burnout and so forth and so on. And we all know that we have this weight on our shoulders. I can't even imagine what it's like to be the city manager for the city of Topeka, state capital. I think you have something like 11 commissioners or, or, or governing body members. Yeah, 10. I, mean, yep. 10, I mean, you have a, a lot, <laughs> a lot of people to answer to and explain yourself to. Did, did your job exacerbate your mental health issues or was it just sort of coincidental? I, I, I know you recently became the city manager of Topeka about 10 months ago or something like that. What role did that, what role did your elevation to the city manager position play with your mental health? No, it's, it's a great question. Uh, certainly it made it worse. Um, now I I've struggled with mental health issues. You know, Joe, I, I had somebody suggest to me when I was 16 years old that something was off. Had some challenges in college. Certainly have had some challenges off and on throughout my professional career. And a lot of people have them. So, you know, it's, it's to me, it wasn't anything different than, than what other folks go through. I was a publisher in a, in a newspaper company and spent about 18 years as, as a publisher. And for, you know, for those on your, on your call that don't know what that means, it's the newspaper equivalent of a city manager. And so I certainly have held positions of high pressure and have held positions of in public on demand, but certainly have never held a position where I had 10 bosses and having 10 bosses, many of whom had different opinions. Sure. You know, we were dealing with, with some topics of high pressure and, and homelessness being being one that was very visible to where there just was no commonality and agreement as to what the right approach was. That made things worse. And then quite honestly, my meds got off. Had a, had a, I got into a situation to where I could tell things weren't quite right and made an adjustment in my medications. And unfortunately that adjustment made things worse. Now, Stephen, was that, so for, for some, can you break it down for a layman? So when you say your meds are off, is that just where you're going on your day-to-day routine and you just say, Hey, I'm not feeling like my normal self. Or is that, is that when you say meds is off, is that basically as simple as you having the self-awareness to say, Hey, I'm not feeling right. Or is it something more to it than that? Uh, you know, unfortunately it's, it's hard for, it's hard for me to know when I'm off. Uh, it's usually easier for folks around me to know that something's not quite right. Okay. All right. And so, you know, my closest friends are apt to understand it before I do, but I got to a point to where even I understood it, uh, was a little more agitated, uh, was a lot more up and down to to where I understood that things weren't right with me and went and got some help. And unfortunately, those adjustments just didn't didn't go the right direction. Now, when you say those adjustments, those are doctor prescribed adjustments. So the That's doctor, you, you consult with your, your doctor or whatnot. And, you, and then you, do you, is that like a, 
forgive me, but mental health is such a uniquely individualistic thing, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Yes. So, so I assume you have to interact with your doctor and try to describe what's going on. And, and you guys come to a meeting of the minds, so to speak, of what the adjustment should be. Or how does that work? I mean, maybe it's a little bit too far into the weeds, but I'm just kind of fascinated by how you go to make an adjustment to your medication. Uh, no, that's it. That's certainly I don't know the meds. Uh, and, and so it's it's difficult for me to know which med does what and, and how they interact with, with one another. So all I can do is try to describe what I'm feeling and what I'm going through. And then the doctor has to listen to that and then try to guess what the, what the right approach is going to be. For, for, forgive my, forgive this maybe uh callous analogy or not. You ever see the movie Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise? Oh yeah. Uh, we, oh yeah. Like yeah. where where basically Duvall is trying to tell Cruise, like, you know, you're 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 burning your tires or whatever. Yep. And, and Tom Cruise says, I don't know what you're talking about, right? I it's and then so they have to break it down sort of into his lane. Is it sort of like that where like you're just I'm feeling this way, I'm doing this and and the doctor's got to get you dialed in? Yeah, it's a little bit like that. It it's um he's trying to interpret what what it is you're saying the one challenge to the mental health meds in most cases is it takes two three four to six weeks to dial in it's not like overnight the, results it, right yeah it's not like you're you know you're burning your tires and you know you know you need to touch your, take your foot off the gas you may not know that for three or four weeks wow uh, yeah, that's, 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 and then also when you are coming down, there's a, a withdrawal period that you have to kind of clean it out of your system or something too, right? It's like, yeah. The, uh, so, yeah. So when you're doing that, you're, you're downgrading, uh, down, downsizing your dosages on one med while you're bringing up the dosage on the other, you know, and, and that can happen in as quick as one week. It might take two to three weeks. It just depends on the med. Um, so, so you're talking about having mental health issues going back possibly to being 16 years old and whatnot. And here you are around 56 now. Yeah. yeah I'm 46. So yeah. what that gap, that 40 year gap between 16 and 56, what sort of interactions and engagement have you had with mental health professionals or doctors between that period of time and now? Yeah. So I, I made an attempt when I was in college and, um, uh, an, an attempt on your life or an I attempt did. to reach out to no, a doctor? No, I did. No, I, I made an attempt on my life in college. Okay. Um, and excused it off as just being clumsy. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't get immediate help at the time when I probably should have. Um, got married, had kids. Um, I did seek some professional help at, at that point in time. And um, insurances didn't always used to be as friendly towards mental health as what it is now. Not that it's friendly now, but it's, uh, I think. Friendlier, I guess. Friendlier, I mean, right. Yeah. I, I think at that point in time, I was allowed six or seven visits and got through those six or seven visits and insurance said they're not going to pay for it anymore. And I wasn't smart enough at that point in time to say, well, I'm just going to go cash payment. I stopped seeing the psychiatrist. Yeah. And therefore he stopped prescribing my meds. Um, and just as we were talking a second ago about transitioning, I basically stopped my meds cold Turkey. 
And um, I'm going to tell you, that's not a fun situation to be in. And the mental state that it puts you in is very frightening. Uh, And because I went through that, I pretty much swore to myself I would not go seek help again. Uh, really? And so I went several years. So this, so the, I assume you're in your 20s around this time then? Is this right? Uh, early 30s. Early 30s. Okay. So you have this horrible experience where you quit cold turkey, health insurance issues, all that stuff, and you basically swear it off. What happens at that point between that visit and today? Did, did you have another inter- interaction before you became uh employee with Topeka or? or, or... Yeah, I, I, um, I, I had some friends get, get in my ear back in 2019. Uh, so this is pre pandemic, but that's still relatively recent. I mean, so that's, that's a yep. big gap in time between your thirties until just 2019. I mean, that's almost a 20 year gap. It was. Um, and, and I think my, the mother of my kids would tell you that wasn't a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you just try to get through it. You try to deal with it. And again, should have got help. I just, I just didn't, but got to a point in 2019 to where I had some friends in my ear that basically said, you know, you need help. May I, may I ask you, did you make an attempt on your life from that period of time in your 30 to your fifties or were you able to, you were able to make it through and and cope through it? Why, what, I mean, obviously it's not ideal. I don't think right. To go that period of time without having a mental health professional assisting you in any way. Why do you think you were able to go that 20 year period of time though, without reaching that point? Uh, You know, Joe, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Uh, there were there were lots of periods of time to where things were were pretty low, and um, uh, some some points in time to where I I considered strongly um, getting some some help, and just was able to I guess try to get through it on a day by day basis. Do you think having children who were minors at, played any role in that at all, out of curiosity? Yeah, no, I think it does. I think you always, okay. as a parent, you're trying to look out for your kids. And certainly kids give you an additional motivation for trying to get through it. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, my kids are grown and gone now. Yeah. The, the reason why I kind of bring that up is, and I don't want to make this about me, but I, just to share a little bit about my story is that, you know, I've had moments in time where I've thought about killing myself. I've yeah. been through some pretty dark places and some pretty dark times. And there's a history of mental illness in, in my family. I'm sure probably every family pretty much has some sort of mental illness in it, to be honest. But, you know, uh, my grandmother, she committed suicide before I was right before I was born or right after I was born. I don't remember the story and had some other relatives who had some mental health issues. And, you know, I went through a really, really rough period of time. Um, in, in my, uh, my mid to late thirties. And, uh, you know, I'd been, be, be, life was beating me up, right? Life yep, was, uh, yep. life had my number and, uh, I had some thoughts about it, but I just, uh, never could get to that, that ultimate depth because of my, my son. And I, that, that was my sort of saving grace in that regard. So I was just kind of curious what kind of role that might've played. So, Fast forward to 2019. Are you working with Topeka at that point? Because I know you. I was not. Okay. I was not. All right. I was, I was in the newspaper industry at that time. Okay. So in 2019, you have some friends and loved ones in your ear basically saying, Hey, let's, let's start checking this, checking in on this again. And and so that was your impetus to, to get help. And then how does that work from 2019 to basically 2022? How did that work out for you? 
Yeah. So, so one thing that's pretty scary about the mental health industry right now, there's, there's a six month lead time to get help. What do you mean by that? I, I, uh, I don't understand what that, that sounds crazy to me. Uh, yeah. So, you know, right now, if you call the dentist, you know, it might take you a few weeks to get in to see the dentist. Right. Uh, but if you are a new patient looking for mental health assistance, there's a six month lead time. It took, so I, I reached out in January of 2020. So again, this is pre-pandemic. Right. It took me until almost the first of July to where I could get in and see a counselor. That's incredible. I mean, that's, um, and it's still that way. I mean, I, I, I verified that. This is this morning. a reach? Is this a regional thing or is no, this a, this, a national thing? I mean, it, this is, this is pretty widespread. That's not uncommon at all right now, nationally. And the, you know, the pandemic made it worse. Sure. Because obviously the COVID messed with a lot of, a lot of minds and a lot of, a lot of hearts. And I think that raised, that did erase the awareness for some mental health, which means there's more people reaching out. Sure. So on a volume basis, it made it worse. But I, I had a friend that would like to get in to see a counselor. And so I, I reached out to the, the individual that I see just to see if maybe he was taking new patients. And and he told me, yes, but the the wait list right now is such that it's a minimum of three months. And, and for most folks, it's six months. I mean, that's, that's, that's really kind of unacceptable. I mean, when you think yeah. about it, we're talking mental health issues where people yeah. are literally, I mean, might be as, as serious. I mean, obviously I know there's different variations of mental health, right. As far as yeah. how, how it affects people. But if you got somebody who's literally on the brink of suicide, that's not a really good answer to give somebody. I mean, it's, it's not now the, the one good thing is, is if, if you're an individual that's, that's contemplating that, you know, there are some emergency services available. You know, you can walk into any emergency room and they may or may not be able to help you, but at least there's going to be a crisis, an immediate crisis averted. But if you're looking to try to get healthy and and try to get your mind right and balanced, it's not good right now in the middle, in the, on the medical side, it's ridiculous. You know, it's it, Joe, it's probably not that much different than if you or I were trying to make an appointment to go see a specialist, you know, for back surgery or, or, or whatnot. It takes a long time. And I know it personally that it takes a long time to get in to see a, a neurosurgeon, but at least you're getting care in the process. Right. Right. You know, in this particular case, you're, you're not getting care. You're, so you're waiting for that specialist, but you're kind of out there on your own. So you, so you see a doctor in July, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mind you flashback to just a few minutes ago, which, you know, I kind of knew, but I kind of don't know. Uh, you're saying, Hey, it still takes weeks upon yeah. weeks before you even get dialed in with yeah. your medication, right? So you, you go to a doctor in July of 2020 and walk us through how that progresses. Yeah, at that point in time, if you're if you're not if you're not seeing a psychiatrist, that means you're also having to hook up with. Sorry, that's right. Joe. That's, that's actually my. Uh, actually, that's fun uh, to talk about because that alarm is for my meds. Oh, um, as, as we're sitting here talking about meds, um, 
part of the, part of the thing about the the meds is if you're not consistent in when you're taking them and how you're taking them, uh, that can mess you up also. So that uh, alarm in the background was me saying, "Don't forget to take your meds." Do we need to take a break, or do you need to do anything right no, now? I'll, we'll we'll get through it. But okay, all right. Um, I just again, I apologize for that. No, you're fine. But it you're was fine. it's 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 applicable that that came up right now. Yeah. Um, so, so, okay. So you see the doctor and you, and you have your first visit and, and whatnot, and obviously you gotta get dialed in. So how long does it take for you to finally kind of get to a place where you feel you're in a good, a good plan, a good frame of mind? Uh, you know, it, it took, it, it was, it was probably six weeks before okay. I, I could really start to, to see the difference. And, and honestly, we've been making adjustments with medication levels and whatnot you know, for almost three years, uh, little tweaks here and there, you, you get to a point to where you, you max out on a dosage level. Uh-huh. Uh, and so then they have to move you to a different medication. And in this particular case, I had moved to a different medication in the spring. This is your, you're fast forwarding now to 2023 when things kind of went off the rails for you, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you reached a max dosage of what you were taking and you're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta switch this up now and go to a different sort of formula. And that's, right. that's when that formula didn't take. That's right. Okay. So the formula doesn't take and how does it manifest itself? What sort of like when you when how, how, how quickly did you notice that it wasn't working? And then what were the beginning signs of, of your impairment of your behavior or actions and, and just kind of walk us through that. Yeah. You know, that's the part where it gets tough and gets tricky because, you know, as we're talking about the job of city manager, we, we were going through some pretty intense periods in Topeka. We were having a lot of controversy in regards to um, homelessness. Uh, we were, trying to tackle um, a couple of economic development issues with a divided council. And so the job stress was high. And so really for me, it was impossible to know, is this me? You know, is this, is this, is this my brain or is this just the, the pressure cooker of the job? Um, and it's really difficult to, to know at what point in time, what is what. Uh, and so there were several weeks, months in there to where, you know, looking back on it, I certainly was having some challenges with my brain that happened to coincide with some increase of stress on the job. So earlier you were talking about how in many ways, those who are struggling with mental health, um, you were speaking primarily about yourself. But I think it's probably applicable to a, a larger population of those who have mental health issues that you need to, or that you rely a little bit on those around you who know you to help mm -hmm. you kind of like, you know, tap you on the shoulder or, or yep. say, Hey, you're not, you're not yourself. Right. Yeah. Now, before you became the city manager in Topeka, you had already worked within the organization. Okay. That's so, right. so you'd had some history there and you knew people and I don't know exactly how open you were with your mental health issues as far as with your peers and your colleagues on site. Was there an element of that where people were, did know you a little bit more, more have some familiarity with you or, and were, and were they able to communicate to you or, or, 
or because then you throw in the other layer, the another layer of the dynamic is you get elevated to the city manager position. Your peers and colleagues don't always necessarily feel like they can interact with you the same way that they did before because you've had this change in the hierarchy. And so, so this is a really convoluted and complicated time for you to be having this mental health issue. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's all fair. Certainly I had a couple of colleagues that I trusted uh, when I was in the finance department that, that were aware um, that I was getting help and uh, certainly would help keep me straight. You know, once you move into that city manager's job, you lose some of that day-to-day touch. Right. And um, so it's hard, it's harder for folks to, as you say, reach out and touch you on the shoulder and say, Hey dude. Yeah. Yeah. So how did the, mental health issues that you're struggling with manifest themselves essentially within the organization after you had this uh, incorrect formula? Uh, you know, I can tell you that certainly I was less patient. Um, I can tell you that, uh, and by, by being less patient, you know, maybe less willing to hear everything out, uh, certainly a little more irritable. Um, would would drain quicker, uh, and by that, just just the energy level, you know, items that um, normally not might not be that big of a deal, took more energy out of you, and, and so, you know, I, I think that's that that's the, that's a lot of it right there. It was just a matter of being emotionally drained, being physically drained. And are, and are you, are you aware of this in the moment that it's happening? Were you self-aware that this was dynamic was changing or were you no. still kind of, you, no. you weren't aware of it? No. So you're not aware of it. And then you also don't really have this safety me- fallback mechanism of individuals who are working with you on a day-to-day basis anymore, who are aware of your dynamics. And so you're, you're sort of rudderless in this sort of battle that you're fighting mentally. Is that, is that a fair sort of assessment? Yeah, uh, fortunately, I had I had one individual that was trying to help um, that was a, a sounding board, but that wasn't enough. People don't most people don't understand mental health unless you have lived it and you're experienced with it. You don't know at that point in time really what's going on. And again, this coincided with a lot of difficult topics on undergoing at the city at the same time. So, you know, I think even for this person, it was hard to know. Is it mental health or is it, yeah, 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 or the stresses of the job, right? I mean, because it can't be easy. It's not, it's never easy to be a city manager, but it can't be easy to be a city manager of a capital city with, you know, like 10 bosses, like you said. And for those who don't know, the homeless issue is a major, major issue. I mean, you get beat up left and right on that, don't you, from different stakeholder groups and and what have you. Yeah. So, so this happens around that March, April timeframe. Is that correct in 2023? Yeah, so I made it. I made uh, I made some adjustments. Probably February, March. Fast forward into end of April, things are really starting to probably go off the rails a little bit. So that last part of April, going in through the month of May, you know, again looking back on things, that's that's where things started to go off. And how frequent were your interactions with your mental health professional or doctors when it came to once you once you made that formula change? How much uh, interaction or touch points did you have with them to check in on that? You know, I, I typically was seeing somebody about every two weeks. 
Um, I see somebody now on a weekly basis, but, um, and to make matters worse and, and, you know, not to get too far into the weeds, uh, my, my provider at the time got called out for outside duty. And so there was a period of time, it was about five months in there to where I didn't even have access to my primary provider, uh, and was seeing a substitute, which, which made things worse also. Yeah. That's terrible. I mean, you got all these different forces lining up. I mean, I mean, it, it was just, wow. What a, what a, what an amazing just sort of confluence of all these different events and factors that created this really untenable situation and, and ultimately led to your professional demise, um, which is, yeah. which is, which is, which is, which is sad and frustrating. I got to tell you, Stephen, you know, working down here in Wichita, I pay attention to Kansas city. I followed the recruitment process for your position and you were an internal applicant. And I remember when you were, you guys, you were going through the process, I was like, Oh man, I think, you know, I think Wade has the inside track. This is going to be pretty much his job to lose because you had the uh, hometown boy connections. Yeah. You worked yeah. for the paper, you were in the organization and by all accounts, this was the, I would say by all accounts to an outsider like me, it looked like, Oh, this is the perfect dream scenario being lined up for Stephen Wade. And then, you know, 10 months later or whatever it is, it's all coming down to a crashing end. And yeah. It was just, it was just amazing to me. Um, you know, I shared with you a little bit in a pre-interview, and this is something I, I, I want to talk about with um, mental health issues too, is when I saw the news that you had taken an indefinite leave of absence on a unanimous vote, my first thought was, oh, there has to be some sort of personal or family health situation. I didn't know anything right. about, I didn't know anything about you and your family. I didn't know if maybe, you know, wife got sick or kids. Got, I didn't, didn't know anything, but I just figured, okay, he's a hometown boy. He was, you know, supported by the council. By all accounts, things are going smoothly. It's a unanimous vote for this indefinite leave. There's some crazy stories about in the, in the local media about whether or not you, they, they can put you on indefinite leave with pay, but it seemed like everything was going very supportive and, and everything else. It just seemed like You'd be back at some point. We just didn't know when. And then you fast forward. And I, I've lost track of the time. It might have been two weeks or more. But all of a sudden, you're terminated for cause on a unanimous vote. And mm-hmm. now you're lost. You've lost your source of income, and you've lost your health insurance benefits. And obviously, those two factors. If you're looking on a on a board of okay, someone who has mental health issues, and how do we get this person better and support them? Uh, losing their income and health insurance are probably the two that are not at the top of the list in the health column. So right. how, how, how are you coping and getting through today? Yeah, that's, it's, it's certainly not easy. Not having the severance is, is obviously would make it difficult on anybody from a health insurance aspect. Fortunately, I, I was able to pick up Cobra. But Cobra is not cheap. Cobra is not cheap. Uh, the disappointing part about it for me, surprising was, uh, so I did go on to the healthcare portal, the health insurance portal that uh, the government operates. And it's basically a clearinghouse to where you can look for other plans. And I could not find a plan that was uh, less expensive than Cobra, nor could I find a plan that would continue the coverage that I already had. So from a mental health aspect, uh, there were 
parts of my, of my uh, regular healthcare that they weren't going to pick up. If I didn't take Cobra, I couldn't get the mental health care that I'm going through. And so really got backed into a situation to where I had to take Cobra just so I can keep my meds and keep my, my counseling and try to stay on a healthy path. So Cobra doesn't last forever though, right? Isn't there a timeline on that? Or am I completely out the lunch on how Cobra operates? I thought it was only for a, a short period of time that you're allowed to be on it. Yeah. And without looking through paperwork, I think it's 18 months. Okay. Uh, I think there are certain components to where it could be up to three years, but you know, I, I think primarily it's about 18 months. Okay. And you know, we talked in this in the pre-interview before about well, one of the reasons why I really uh, want to have this conversation with you is I have some um, blind spots, so yep. to speak, that when it comes to mental health. And I wanted to be honest with the audience to talk about some of my biases and, and my perspectives on mental health. And, and I don't think I'm the only one who, who has some of my viewpoints. And I kind of wanted to engage in a little bit of a, of a dialogue with you on it because you're older than me. You're, you're 10 years older than me. You're, I would probably put you in the, an old school kind of category, similar sure. to how I grew up and whatnot. Sure. And, and so I, I would love to hear your perspective on some aspects of these conversations and feelings that I have. And, you know, and it's like on one hand, Stephen, um, I want to be very supportive and empathetic of individuals who suffer from mental health issues. I mean, you know, when an individual such as yourself uh, um, makes an attempt on their life, right? Obviously that's a serious, a serious issue, right? And I want to be respectful of that. And I want to be empathetic towards that. But on the other side of this continuum, it's almost like everyone and their mother has a support animal now yep. or has to take a mental health yep. day because things got a little tough and a little hard. And I'm not sure how to reconcile the balance on, on this continuum. Okay. So, you know, in my personal situation, and, and I'm going to get really vulnerable with the, with you and the audience, um, for example, is uh, I grew up in a really crappy childhood. My parents were drug addicts. They were incarcerated in prison. Uh, we were homeless at times. We were on welfare for a significant period of time. Um, I lived in a very, very poor, uh, violent neighborhoods. Um, I, I bounced around from family friends to guardians to family members as far as while my parents were in and out of prison. And uh, when I was in middle school, something I've, I've, I've shared with people, but I don't, I don't proactively share this with people, but, um, but I was sexually molested. Okay. And so I went through a very difficult childhood for sure. And, and for me to get through that, um, I created mental constructs, you know, and that's, and that's in order to survive, you know? And so it's like, you know, I'll be very frank, you know, I, I, I was going to be the toughest son of a bitch out there. Yep. No one was, no one was going to break me down. Nobody was going to get to me. I wasn't going to rely on anybody. Um, I adopted a quasi straight edge sort of perspective on things. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, you know, you don't do drugs, you don't do alcohol, abstain from sex. I, I wouldn't even take Tylenol for headaches. I was very sort of like, no, I don't need to be, um, I don't need to be, um, have my brain altered by anything or leave reality i'm strong enough to handle it sure and so i created this this mentality of nothing's going to break me down nothing's going to beat me and it helps you get through a childhood that's traumatic into adulthood 
but you carry these mental constructs that actually end up hurting you into adulthood because it hurts your ability to develop relationships, to be open and vulnerable with people. Right. And I have this, this battle because on one hand, I want to say, Hey, you know, um, forgive my language. I'll put an explicit marker on this one, but you know, quit being a fucking pussy, you know, get, get your ass in gear and do the job that needs to be done. So what are your thoughts on somebody with my sort of old school perspective where I'm trying to evolve, I'm trying to be more empathetic and how, do, how do we find balance? Does that make sense? Cause I don't know where to find that balance. No, it makes perfect sense. And and you're far from alone. It's like, in fact, you're in the vast majority. Um, you know, like you and I had talked about early on, it's kind of that Midwest uh, mindset that, you know, if you're, if you're not feeling great, put on your boots and pull them up and uh, let's get going. So when you asked me earlier, how did I get through those 20 years? Um, you know, I, I'm basically a workaholic. Um, I was very good at, at my job and found a lot of success professionally. And so that just made me dive deeper and deeper into my job. So uh, I basically was avoiding my own health situation by pushing things professionally. I've had lots of people say to me, get some sleep or uh, tomorrow's going to be better or suck it up. And, you know, that just, that doesn't, that doesn't work. There, there are times to where we are all, down. There are times to where uh, we face difficult times. And so we're a little sad, but that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, We're talking about chemical imbalances. We're we're talking about situations to where you can't snap your fingers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trust me. I, I, I I wish I could. Um, I would have snapped them a long time ago. Um, I certainly would never have gotten to a point to where in early June, I tried to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, not only did I try it one day, I, I took steps to try to do it again the next day. And, and so that's not just because things weren't great. That's not just because there was pressure with the job. It's because there are things in your head that aren't right. Uh, some of that can be handled through, through, through counseling. Certainly some of the things that you were describing a second ago are things that you have, you have to work through and you can't, you're not, you're not likely to be able to do that on your own. Um, it's, it's going to take a professional to, to try to deal with that. But then there's, but then there's the chemical side of things. And the chemical side of things, as we talked about, takes takes weeks to even start to have an effect. And then because it's not immediate, it takes months or it takes years to find whatever that, that right combination of stuff is. Um, so, you know, I think in the profession of city management, we've got to find as an industry 
a, a way to find more support. You know, so if I think about ICMA and, and I think about the, the the peer support efforts that are that are there that are really aimed at, hey, I've got this situation. What do you think? You know, how how would you handle it? We really need to double down on the mental health side of things, and we really need to double down on it in a confidential way of doing it. Craig Owens is a great guy, city manager in the, for Lawrence, been very supportive and professionally. Craig has offered assistance. He's offered ideas. We've shared experiences, but I probably wasn't going to pick the phone up and call Craig and say, today's a day to where I'm thinking about ending my life. Right. You know, that's just, that wasn't going to happen. Um, right. And these you know, city management is a small business. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of secrets. And, and so I, I think whether it's ICMA, whether it's somebody else, we've got to find a way to provide some assistance to our senior executives so that they can get the help that he or she needs. Man, it's a, it's such a thorny issue because <clears throat> It's so difficult, Stephen, because it goes back to what I said a moment ago, and that is we are expected to be on our A game 24-7. And so the danger is that if you are a city manager and you're trying to get help, right, and you need to get help in some sort of confidential way, anonymous way, because if it yeah. gets out, you're tainted or your your career could be uh, ruined or you could get fired because, I yeah. mean, here, here's the thing. I mean, I, I want to be – I want to be – how do I say this? Nobody forces us to be city managers, right? We, we, right. we, we become city managers and we have obligations and we have responsibilities. And where I struggle with this a little bit is a governing body has its job to represent the people and take care of the residents and the voters and all that stuff. And, and our job is to you know, implement their vision and, and directives and all that. And if we, open ourselves up to being vulnerable and say, Hey, I don't know if I can do the job right now, hundred percent of my abilities. Cause I need some help. What is to keep us from getting fired or dismissed outright? Right. And that's where I, that's what it is really difficult for us to seek out help in this profession. And I don't know how we bridge that gap. I mean, I know you talked about doing something anonymous and setting up programs, but to me, that's the crux of the issue because for better or worse, the way it is right now, mentally speaking, I think it's fair and I think you'll agree with me. If you have mental health issues, that is has a negative connotation. You either have a weakness, a liability, or something. It's not the same as if you have a broken leg. You know, if you um, you know, it's interesting. I literally had a pre-interview call with a, a city manager who um, went through a horrible, and I'm gonna interview her at a later date. She recently had a horrendous health episode where she was on her motorcycle and suffered a stroke and it mm. led to her crashing and, and having uh, becoming legally blind and all this stuff. And the great thing about her story is that her uh, governing body stood by her and has worked through her, through her recovery and, and, and so forth and so on. But I don't think that if she had a mental health issue and I don't, I want to speak for that governing by per se, but I, I don't know if she would have had the same level of support or, 
um, yeah, assistance from her governing body. I don't know. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Oh, it, make, it makes perfect sense. And I, and I think obviously every governing body is different. Right. But, but I think that that is the fear and, and it's, it's the fear that I had. I did not go to my governing body, to my bosses and say, I need help. I did, I did not ask to take a leave for hospitalization until the very end. And, and that was after I had made an attempt on my life. And so, so if you, sorry to interrupt you there, Stephen. So at what point did the governing body become aware and how did they become aware of your struggles? Did you tell them at that point or did they find out some other way? Uh, no, I made an, I, I made an attempt on a Friday uh, and ended up meeting with the mayor and the deputy mayor the early part of that next week. And during those conversations, I asked to take a voluntary leave of absence. And were they supportive of that? They were. Yeah. Okay. They were, but I was very hesitant to, to reach out prior to that. I mean, I, I considered hospitalization two or three times, ultimately chose not to do it because for one, you know, in the, in this community, the Topeka fire department are, are, are first responders. Okay. Um, and so we have AMR in the market also, but you, you make a nine one one call, you're either going to see the Topeka police department or you're going to see the Topeka fire department. And you um, live in the city of Topeka, correct? Well, I live, yeah, I live in the city of Topeka and all those guys work for me. Right. You know, so any, any thought of confidentiality it's out the it window. It's gone. Yeah. Um, walking into the local emergency room or the local hospital and asking for help with a mental crisis, you know, the your chances of confidentiality are gone. Right. Um, there's HIPAA and all that other good stuff, but it's a small town. I mean, yeah. it's just a big, small town. Yeah. And so for that reason, I wasn't willing to step out until it was too late. And even then I tried to get help out of market uh, so that I didn't have the exposure inside Topeka and ultimately wasn't able to do that. So, uh, you know, my, my health treatment took place here in town. So I want to, I want to go back to something and I don't know if you feel comfortable answering this question or not, but you know, a minute ago I asked you if the mayor and the council or whatnot were supportive of, of you in your, um, your, when you informed them about your health issues, did you get a sense that it was like, yeah, they're telling me that they support me and they're with me, but they're already sort of, you know, it's not, they're not, they're already questioning or did you, did you feel like it was a a 100% erstwhile support and did you feel good after you had this interaction? No, I think with those two individuals, I felt I felt support and awesome. That's great. Uh, not nothing but support, and and honestly, those two reached out. You know, while I was checking on me during the during my hospitalization, they they checked on me right after I got out of the hospital and was undergoing some intensive therapy. So certainly felt felt some support from those individuals. You know since you've come out and been public with your situation, Mm -hmm. um, let me back up. I interviewed Daniel Rosemond this past, uh, 
two weeks out, two different interviews, and he went through a very different situation, but he was terminated uh, for cause. And so it's similar in a sense that he has gone through immense financial and personal and, and emotional toll. Uh, one of the things we talked about in his interview and he talks about in his book was that after he was fired for cause, he was like a leper and a yep. lot of people abandoned him and didn't you know, interact with him. They didn't return phone calls. They ignored his text messages, so forth and so on. What kind of support have you received from your friends and just people that you've been in? Cause you've been in that community a long time. And I'm kind of yep. curious, what kind of support have you received from your friends, families, peers, colleagues, since you've, since this, this whole story came out? Yeah, no, I, I think the people that I would have considered to be in my inner circle prior to this have largely stayed inside the inner circle. Okay. Uh, folks that are a little more at arm's length are a lot more at arm's length now. Okay. You know, but, but there's been, there's been some folks that I wouldn't have expected to reach out that, that have very been very kind. And, and especially once, once I told the story the first time I've had any number of people that have said, I'm sorry. And that took a lot of guts, but more importantly, Hey, maybe now I, maybe now I'm, I'm going to try to get some help and which, which you mean, was the you, whole, you, you mean you've had other people tell you that because of you sharing your story, they're going to get some help. I, I have. That, that must make you feel pretty damn good. Uh, it does. I mean, that was the motivation for doing it was hoping that you can just help one person, but I, I didn't expect, I didn't expect that kind of response this past. Now were these people that you knew that told you this or people that you didn't know that just came and shared their story with I've you? Had both. Or both. Okay. I've had both. So let me ask you this and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because sure. um, we talk about mental health or you talk about a lot of, you know, being lonely and on your own and just sort of your own inner battles and, and what have you, the individual or individuals that you knew that have then told you that your story inspired them to seek out help. Did you have any clue or idea that they might be going through mental health issues as well? Or were just that completely oblivious to you? No, nah, completely oblivious to me. See, I mean, that's just, that's the other thing that's really makes this a fascinating topic because so many people are fighting, maybe nearly everybody who has mental health issues, it seems seemingly fighting this battle alone, or maybe not, maybe not fair to say the overwhelming majority, because you talk about your friends and support network and stuff like that. But it is such an intensely personal and individualistic struggle that, man, unless that individual actually goes out and, and verbalizes it right like man physically manifests in some way that they need help it's hard to help these people is that fair to say oh it, it's it's almost impossible it, um you know it's not like you have a broken arm you know if, if you break your arm joe you've probably got a cast on it yep so, and so it's pretty visible to everybody that yeah joe's got yeah. a broken arm it doesn't it doesn't work that way with mental health Unless you have a a real serious mental health issue that you're schizophrenic or, or and you're just it's 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 very visible obviously to everybody right it? right but but for most folks it's it's very silent and, and and certainly that's not just tied to mental health you you could be a lupus patient you you may be a cancer patient there there are lots of illnesses that are 
not visible to an everyday person. But the mental health side, there's just a, still enough of a stigma attached to it to where it's very hidden and it's and it's very private. It, it's a tough one to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to let myself off the hook because, you know, I, I, I brought up my sort of biases or perspectives and, and whatnot. And um, I'm just want to, I guess, sort of revisit that and to kind of get back in that is, you know, and maybe it's unfair for me to ask you for advice or feedback on this because you've got your own struggles and battles and, and you're not necessarily an expert on this whole thing. But what should somebody like me, you talk about me, my mindset sort of being in the majority uh, are very commonly held, let's put it that way. What are things that individuals such as myself who have these these mixed emotions as far as how to handle individuals who are claiming or say they have mental health issues versus, you know what I mean? What, what can we do to be more empathetic or give some more benefit of the doubt? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, Stephen, we are chief executives, right? We are CEOs yep. of organizations yep. and whatnot, and we have to run an organization. We have to ensure accountability is maintained. We have to ensure results and, and work product is completed. What are your thoughts on how individuals who might have some blinders on could be maybe a little bit more open to understanding the plight of those who are going through mental health struggles? You know, I, I think the first thing is it's okay to not understand because unless you've been through it, Joe, the chances of you understanding what's going on are almost, almost nil. And so you're not expected to solve a problem. You're, you're not expected to give advice. Uh, you're not going to fix it. Th these are situations to where, you know, I'm a fixer. I, I right. you, you, you give me a problem and I'm on it and, and I want to fix it. But if somebody's coming to me and they have a mental health issue, I can't fix that. And, and if I'm somebody that doesn't suffer from mental illness, you're not going to understand it either, uh, let alone be able to fix it. So I think the advice I would give is just listen. And, and you're doing, you do more just by listening and, and closing your mouth than, than anything. You know, I, I know that you can't fix it. And, and so Joe, if I'm, if I'm talking to you, I don't expect you to fix it. In fact, quite honestly, I don't even want you to try. Okay. Um, what, what I want to be able to tell you is today was rough. Uh, today was rough because of X, Y, Z, or today's rough. And I don't even know why today's rough, uh, but I'm struggling today. And I appreciate you just being there. Uh, that, that, and I can't speak for anybody other than myself, but certainly as I've gone through some of this intensive therapy, that's, that's one of the common denominators is how can you help? Just listen. That that will do more than, than than anything. Do you think that we as leaders need to be more proactive in our engagement with subordinates and communicate that we are open and willing to listen to these things? Or do we just keep our mouth shut and wait for someone to come to talk to us? Or do you have any thoughts on that? No, I do. I, th I think we absolutely have responsibility to be proactive. 
Okay. Uh, so I, what I, would so you you sat in the city manager's chair and, and you have this experience, right? And obviously there's different city managers and assistant city managers on the call, department heads, so forth and so on, all different sizes and levels of of a uh, uh, organization and government. What would you advise a city manager to do in light of your experience and history with your mental health issues? What is a takeaway that you would give a city manager listening to this podcast? Well, if I had to do it all over again, I certainly would have been more transparent with, with, with my bosses, you know, if, if, if that's what you're asking. Well, I mean, okay. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting turn of, well, I was, I was speaking more in terms of you dealing with subordinates as a city manager, but you're Did, talking deal? about with your, you're talking yeah. about with your governing body, which we can come back. Let's, let's focus on that right now. So do you feel like if you would have been more transparent with them, that you would have been in a much different position at the end of the day? I, I definitely would have been with, without a doubt. Now, what I can't tell you is how they would have reacted, right? Well, when would you have been more, when do you think you should have been more transparent with them before you became the city manager or after? Uh, that's a good question. That's a very, that's a very dicey. And I mean, again, and Steven, I, I only know you from afar. Yeah. And again, I see you as this hometown, yeah. hometown boy done good. Right. And and I think you, you might have a little bit of a, a more of a unique circumstance than a lot of other city managers, but I'm just kind of curious when do you think that would have been, and cause you, man, it's, this is a tough question because everybody wants to be more transparent. Every, I think yeah. everyone wants to be inherently open with others, but we just feel like we can't run the risk. And I'm just kind of. No, that's a, that, that's a good question. Um, as far as the question about before, I had a city council member that I was pretty close with that was aware. Okay. And, and I think a couple of his colleagues had an idea. Okay. Not to the extent, but at least at least knew that I dealt with depression. Looking back, you know, given the question you just asked. I think one of the things that I could have done different, um, especially after I was offered the contract, I probably could have, as part of those conversations, been very clear that I have special needs, you know, and those special needs mean that uh, when I need help, I need to go get help. Yeah. And so I, I think maybe that's on me. Post-contract, fast forward four months, five months, I, I think I wish I had been maybe a little more transparent as far as the challenges. But 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 the the flip side of that, Joe, is you don't even really, I didn't really even know it, you know, it's, so it's hard for me to. That's right. It kind of snuck up on you this time around, right? I mean, it yeah, wasn't, it's, yeah. you know, I. I mean, because no, I, 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 sorry to interrupt you there, step on you there, Stephen, but I'm sure not that you felt that you had it totally under control, but I mean, from 2019 to this point in time, had you had many struggles with it? Because it, it sounded like everything was kind of, I mean, I'm sure there were some ups and downs here and there, but it sounded like everything was pretty much going pretty, pretty even keel. Is that a fair? Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't say that. I there, oh, okay. there, were, there were lots of ups and downs over, okay. you know, the three years I've been in counseling, there's been lots of ups and downs. Okay, so what, what the point I was going to make, which is maybe not relevant, then, is do you, when you're when you're going through these cycles of your mental health journey, 
are there times where you feel like, oh, I got this under control? It almost kind of goes back to the whole you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and things yep. like that. Like, you know, you're always an addict or you're always an alcoholic or whatnot. But are there times when you're when you are going through these mental health uh, journey that you're like, oh, I got this beat or I'm under control. This is good. Or or, or do you are you always sort of like waiting for the the, the hammer to drop or the, the the shoe to drop or whatever expression you want to use? I definitely felt like I had it under control. I I definitely felt like that, that, that I, I was beating it and, and that I was managing it. I, I definitely felt that way. And, and even when I was at some very low points, I felt like I controlled the outcome. Were you lying to yourself? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's, you know, after the hospitalization and, and going through some of this intensive therapy, that's been the light bulb for me. Um, I was lying to myself. You know, Joe, I, I suffer from mental illness and I will always suffer from mental illness. Did you believe that before you were hospitalized? Uh I knew I suffered from depression. Um, did I think that I would, that I, that I, did I think that I could control it? Yes, I did. Yeah. Because almost a, a second ago, it almost sounds like you've, and I hate to use this word because it sounds like a negative connotation, but it's almost like you've submitted to, it's almost like you've submitted to understanding that this is a lifelong. I have. No, right? I, I, I absolutely have. But the, I, but you I, didn't have but you didn't have that submission before absolutely not. The, the suicide attempt right absolutely not no this I I have I have now come to the understanding that this is a lifelong journey I may forever be on medication I may forever have to seek counseling ha, has that freed you a little bit mentally like do you feel free at say, saying that like is that also leading to the journey of why you're so public and out now sharing your story is that you've come to this realization is that is that play anything any role at all into this journey that you're on right now yeah no i think there i think it definitely does i there it does free you up some for one i don't blame myself as much uh and i'm i'm not trying to be pollyanna about it i'm not trying to make excuses here but i think understanding that it's not in my control there, there are things I can do. There are, there are things I have to do every day to try to manage my situation. But I don't get to control whether tomorrow I'm going to wake up and not want to be around. You know, is, I, it, is it a useful question for me to ask you what things that you need to do in order to sort of stay healthy? Like, I, I know it's like such an individualistic journey. Is there, are there things that you can share with anyone who might be listening, who has mental health issues that you're, that you're doing on your journey that's helping you? Or is that, is that a, a useless line of questioning? I don't know. No, forgive my, I don't know. It's, it's not useless at all. And, you know, so it's the basics. Some of it is nutrition. Some of it is adequate sleep. Some of it is trying to get exercise. The, the challenge to it, and I was having this conversation earlier today, I, I know I need to exercise, right? And whether you suffer from mental illness or not, 
I think almost every doctor in America will say, go exercise. But sometimes I can't get myself out of bed. Right. Uh, and that's the part to where things are different. I know I need to eat better. I know I need to exercise more. I know that I need to sleep. There's days I don't, I can't. There, there's days it's just, it's different than a quote unquote normal person. Getting up and taking a shower and getting dressed and getting ready for work can be an arduous task. Nobody likes money mornings, right? It doesn't matter who you are. Most people right. just don't like money mornings. But every day is Monday morning. And it's not just Monday. It's a bad Monday. Right. But I know that I need to try to eat better. I know that I need to try to exercise. I know that I tried, I need to try to get eight hours of sleep. What I know now that I did not know before is that everybody has a limit to their energy. And as a city manager, your bosses don't care, right? The fire department doesn't care if there's a two-story house on fire at three o'clock in the morning. That's the job, right? That that's That's what we do. Right. But what I know now is that even more so because of, of what I, what I have, there's a limit to my energy every day. And I didn't understand that before. What I didn't understand is that if I exceed my energy level today, I'm borrowing from tomorrow. Um, really? What you, 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 really? Is that how that works? I mean, that's, that's how it works. That's how it works. And if you're, if you're borrowing from tomorrow and you're not, being careful with tomorrow. And so instead you're borrowing from the next day and then the next day, and then the next day you're getting yourself in some real trouble. There is, uh, and I would encourage all of your listeners to go look at it. There is a story about spoons. Okay. Um, and if you don't mind me clicking on my, no, 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 please. For a second, let me see if I can find no. uh, the author when I saw that during my therapy, it was like it, a light bulb going off. It, it, it was a light bulb uh, because it's the first time I've ever seen it explained in a fashion to where I understood it. And more importantly, it's a story that I can share with, with others to try to explain what it is we're going through. The author is Christine. Uh, that's Christine with a C, Miserandino, M-I-S-E-R-A-N-D-I-N-O. Okay. Uh, and it's a blog called The Spoon Therapy. Okay. I'll link to, I'll put it in the show notes for yeah, sure. It's, yeah. But basically it's a story. Uh, the author has lupus. Okay. Lupus is, is, we were talking about that, hey, I can't tell that you're sick concept, right? Yep. Uh, has lupus and has a friend that she's having dinner with and the dinner and the, the friend says, what's it like to have lupus? And she's like, how do, how do you describe that? You know, how do I describe what's it like to have mental health issues? Um, but she talks about, she talks about it through the concept of spoons. And so 
Joe, you get to start every day with 12 spoons. Mm-hmm. Getting out of bed might take one spoon. It might take three spoons. Taking a shower takes a spoon. Eating breakfast takes a spoon. Putting away the dishes takes a spoon. And if you only start with 12 spoons, you haven't even gotten to work yet, and you're already down six of them. Right, right. And so at the end of the day, you're having to make a decision. Do I eat? Do I put the dishes away? If you even got that far and still had spoons. Right. And so it, it's a fascinating story. Certainly recommend everybody look at it. But that's that's what this is. This is what it's like. After you heard the spoons, uh, the spoon story, yeah. looking back, especially going that 20 year period from yeah. 30 to 50, did that sort of crystallize things that you're yes. feeling? Like, okay. All right. Yeah. I, I wish I had seen this 20 years ago because then I would have recognized I'm jeopardizing. I'm low on spoons, my, right? I mean, I'm low on spoons I'm today. Low on or spoons and yeah. If, if I'd have shared that with my kids, if I would have shared that with my wife, if I would have shared that with my friends, I would have had more support because people would have understood what you're doing, going through. Right. right. Um, so it's, that was a big takeaway from my therapy was recognizing that when I'm out of gas, I'm out of spoons, I just need to stop. I need to step back and I need to step away and recognize that I'm done for the day. There are times where I wish, I wish I'd have had that when I first started as a city manager. So I could have explained that to some of my council members that it's 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday and they're pounding away on you because of some issue. Right. I, I wish I could have at that point in time said, I can't talk. I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of spoons. I'm out of right. gas. I'm, I'm not in a point to where I can logically have a conversation with you. We, we need to wait. Right. Right. Um, and I just, I, I didn't do that. So you come out with your story. You're public about it. It's a very personal, very vulnerable story. And I got to ask you, you know, you had to be thinking, man, am I deep sixing committing professional suicide? Absolutely. Pardon, pardon the the phrase um, with respect to doing this, right? I mean, did, when you, do you have desires or aspirations to still be in the city management business? Or do you feel like that book's closed on on that season of life. I mean, where where are you at mentally with that whole that whole? Oh, I think I've deep sixed my career as a city manager um, by by coming out and saying by coming out and being this vulnerable. I think by by a combination of being vulnerable and by not recognizing that I needed help faster. You know, I'd have been a better better city manager if I would have taken better care of my health during that tenure. I hear you. If if that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, it it does make sense. And I'm not saying I wasn't a good one. uh, Yeah. Because we were doing some really, really good things. Well, we didn't even get into that, Stephen, because it's kind of not really the, the, I guess, really super germane to the story. But I mean, you've been hitting it hard and heavy the last uh, 10 months or so. I mean, you were were making a lot of transformative changes within the organization. I mean, there was stuff going on internally. And I don't mean stuff as in a negative sense. I mean, you were internally adding positions and, and growing the organization and yeah. So, so do you have a desire to be a city manager anymore or is that desire no longer there? I, I think at this point in time, it, it's not there. 
Um, okay. Now, could that change later? Possibly. But I think the focus for me right now is getting my mental health under control. So, so how do you, how do you get your mental health under control in an environment where you've been stripped of your income and you're struggling with super expensive healthcare and what can anybody who's listening, if anything, do to assist you? Because shortly after you were terminated, you posted on LinkedIn that you were, you know, looking for opportunities because obviously you need to earn a living, right? Well, what, what can any of us do to possibly help you in that regard? I don't know what you're trying to endeavor to do. I don't know if you're looking to do some consulting or whatnot. I mean, what, 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 what support can be provided to you by the listeners? Yeah, lots. You know, I, I think for me, I just need to stay out of the number one chair. Uh, I, I'm a solid number two. I'm a solid number three. Uh, that CFO type of role, which is what I was in before I took the city manager's role, I'm, I'm good at. I'm good at the COO level, you know, that deputy type position. Okay. So you're not, you're not interested in, in foregoing service in the public sector period. You, you think there's, you, you still have a, a desire and a, and a passion to be in, engaged, but you just need to find a role that is more, that's a better fit for what you're going through. Yes. No, that's okay. fair. I, I got into this because I wanted to make a difference. Right. And that's the, that's the beauty of public service. You truly have an opportunity to make a difference. And especially as a city manager, you, there were some For things sure. we were doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's, that's the thing I love about this job is that you can, you can put your thumb on the scale yep. and you can make yep. a difference. You know? yep. But I think right now, during my recovery, I need to stay out of that number one role. And I, I need to look at that number two, number three type of role and give myself a chance to, to get healthy. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad we cleared that up because I wasn't yeah. sure if you were saying that you're trying to basically get out of the public sector completely. But I think a lot of people listening might have been had the first impression was that you're just done with the public sector. But no, you definitely no, want to I, stay in. And OK. No, yeah. Awesome. No. So hopefully hopefully someone listening or whatnot will have an opportunity or will give you a look and, and what have you. I do know that in the article that came out, the big piece, the big treatment of your situation, you mentioned, I believe, some other sources of inspiration or help or assistance, and I wasn't sure if you wanted to elaborate on that, of what you found useful and beneficial to you and might be useful and beneficial to others that are listening. Yeah, so that that's the spoon therapy that we've, right. we talked about it was was a big one. There's an individual here locally, uh, Damon Parker, that was a high school wrestling coach uh, that suffered with heavy heavy depression and uh, Damon's been extremely vulnerable and has, has gotten out and is kind of making this circuit right now, talking to groups and, and uh, working working through that. And Damon spoke at one of the gatherings that we had for, for Kansas City Managers a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, I listened to him in Atchison and it was inspirational for me to listen to him because I was suffering with, I, you know, I suffered with depression and so I could identify with what he was going through. So Damon was an inspiration. I think right now it's just just trying to get through it. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I I really am appreciating the fact that you're willing to share your story and be vulnerable because I, I there's no easy way to do this. I mean, there's just there's you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in many ways. And I'm hoping that as a result of you coming out and being public with your story and being vulnerable, that 
those individuals who have an opportunity to lend help in some form or fashion can do that. And I'm also hoping that other individuals who are listening to this podcast who know somebody who has mental health issues can be a little bit more in tune and engage with those individuals to offer up the support that they need. And then third, I'm hoping that uh, more individuals such as myself who have their own um, struggles with balancing empathy with their own sort of worldview and perspectives on things might be able to soften their approach a little bit and, and be a little bit more aware of the dynamics that individuals are facing. Um, I struggle with this because I want to be empathetic and, and I want to be a supportive person. I, I, I want to be a good person. I want to help yeah, people. Sure. I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't be in the city management business right. if I didn't want to help people. That's right. Um, and so I think we're in this interesting time where there's a huge focus on putting more attention on mental health. And I'm, I still might be behind the times if I'm, if I'm being honest, or I'm just doing, being self-aware of, of where my blind spots are. So your story was, is remarkable because I honestly don't know if I can recall. I don't know if I can honestly recall ever a story about a city manager uh, voluntarily admitting that they attempted to kill themselves or that they were, I mean, I, I'm sure there's been some who've talked about mental health and things of that sort of nature, but I'm not sure about the level of vulnerability that you've expressed. You know, it was just, um, it was a very difficult story to read because like I said, I was, I was so bummed out in your situation because it seemed like everything had lined up and been the perfect situation for you. And then for it to just sort of kind of fall apart, I felt, I felt really bad and, and really terrible for your situation. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm grateful that you're willing to take the time to speak uh, with me today. Well, I appreciate you um, reaching out, Joe. When you when you shared the the story that the paper ran, I, I was amazed at the number of people and the responses that, that came off your posting. Folks that either I barely know, folks I had no no in touch with at all, but just seeing the some of the postings and responses that you got, and then some of those same folks reaching out to me, that was inspirational for me. Uh, to be honest. Awesome. But then uh, you given uh, me the opportunity to, to do this because you know what my first reaction was when you called was, I'm not sure I want to do that. Yeah, I don't blame you. But, you know, you've been great with it and I appreciate you even wanting to tell the story. Absolutely. Is there anything that we haven't covered or any resources or anything like that that you feel like maybe we forgot to mention or anything of that sort of nature before we wrap up? I don't think so. Um, just as an individual, listen. You know, yeah. try to listen. Well, thank you. And uh, I hope, I hope you have a lot of better days ahead. Thanks, you Joe. Know? I appreciate it. And um, obviously, I don't know what else I can do to help, but if there's anything I can do to help, or if you ever want to come back on and have a platform to speak about what you're working on or, or a project that you're working on, I want to help you and assist you in any way. And um, just thank you so much for, no. for being open. So. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, This is Joe Turner. I'm the host of City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by City Manager for City Managers and other public sector executives. Thank you for listening today to this very special episode, and I'll catch you next week.